Hello, Stonebridge, and welcome to the Stonebridge Extras podcast. I am Pastor John, and this is our podcast where we take some sort of theme, some sort of idea, and try to do a deeper dive. And during this Divine Appointment Sermon Series, I'm basically just trying to take something that was interesting to me in the sermon and develop it a little more. Um, Didn't have time to get to it in the sermon, but you know what? I still think it's worth reflection. So for those of you who want that deeper dive, here we are. And this week, we are looking at the character of Judas, the betrayer of Jesus. And Judas is, as I said in the sermon, he's one of the most difficult characters in all of scripture. Um, For me, and not just for me, but for history. And I looked back on different ways that Christians have interpreted Judas this last week. And it was fascinating. It it just, it reinforced for me, Christians throughout history have not known what to do with Judas. It is a difficult story. He is a difficult character. We're not given enough information to really know what to do with him. And I mentioned in the, in the sermon that there's two different extremes, but I, I thought for this podcast, I just wanted to share with you some of the stories out there about Judas, some of the ways that Christians have interpreted him, um, and go back through history and look at really in the first thousand years or so of the church, what we have about people responding to Judas. And I, I thought it was fascinating. So I'm going to group these into just two different categories. One of them smaller than the other one. But the first category, which is the smaller one, is those who have basically assigned pain and punishment to Judas, um, who have just said he's evil, leave it at that. And there's a broad category in this. One thing that I found that was pretty interesting was that Judas became a symbol for anti-Semitism. For many European Christians, Judas became the symbol for the Jewish people who killed Jesus. And they began just calling all Jews Judases and used the character of Judas as an excuse to persecute Jews. Now, this was probably the most dangerous use of Judas that I saw in researching this. And it was one that I wanted to mention because I think it's real. And I think you could still see some people trying to do that today. What's really unfortunate about this interpretation of Judas, though, is it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Um, Yes, Judas was a Jew, but we have to remember, so was Jesus. So was Peter. So was, was John, so was James. Um, so many of Jesus's followers were Jewish. And the writers of the Gospels, they would not have seen themselves as what we call Christians. That idea didn't develop until later in the church's history. They would have seen themselves as Jews as well. The Apostle Paul is pretty clear that he never really abandons his Jewish identity. He doesn't think that he's worshiping a new God. He's still worshiping the God of Israel, the God of the Jews. It's just that now um, God has been revealed in Jesus. So using Judas for any sort of anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish arguments, it just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, Judas is not representative of Jewish people. He's one person who betrayed Jesus. Um, And we have to just kind of leave that there. So that was one use that I saw of people who just wanted to 
kind of throw Judas to the wolves there and, and just have him be punished. The other one I saw, the other example here is a pretty famous one, actually. It's from Dante's Inferno. And Dante was a poet. He wrote this, this long poem, and one of the sections is called The Inferno. And in this poem, Dante gives his depiction of what he thinks hell looks like. And in Dante's hell, Judas is at the lowest circle of it. In fact, he's in the ninth circle, which is reserved for traitors. In Dante's world, the worst sin one could commit was betrayal, to, to be a traitor. And in this ninth circle of hell, there's a frozen lake. And Judas is actually one of three sinners throughout history who deserve to be chewed up eternally by a three-headed Satan. So Judas is one of three of the worst sinners in the world, in, in the history of the world, in Dante's Inferno. You might be wondering who the other two are. They are Cassius and Brutus, who both betrayed Julius Caesar and helped in the assassination of Julius Caesar. So according to Dante, because Judas was a betrayer, and that's the worst possible sin, he is relegated to the worst part of hell. And he is punished there eternally in the worst possible way that Dante could imagine. So those are, when you get to the, the people who are trying to just, you know, punish Judas, those are the main ways that he's punished. He becomes a stand-in for Jewish people and people use him for anti-Semitic attacks, which is something that all Christians should denounce. And then he uh, becomes one of the big betrayers, um, and, and he's a sinner in Dante's Inferno. What I found to be a lot more interesting, though, than the ones that want to um, punish Judas, the, the Christians who have responded by wanting to punish him, what I have found more interesting was all of those writers and thinkers who tried to justify Judas, who tried to make him a positive figure who tried to rehabilitate him. It's very obvious that that's not the way the scriptures present Judas. In, in the gospel of John, it is very clear that Judas, what he does is evil. But for whatever reason, Christians have tried to make Judas's case for him. One of the earliest examples of this is something that's been called the Syriac infancy gospel. And what this gospel does, keep in mind, when I say gospel, I'm not talking about one of the four books in the Bible that talk about Jesus. There's a whole genre of literature out there that's called apocryphal gospels. Um, they're not gospels in the sense that we think of in the Christian church, but they are attempts at talking about Jesus's life or letting the good news of Jesus be known. They were written hundreds of years later, usually, and they, they are not actually divine revelation as we would believe as Christians. So one of these is called the Syriac Infancy Gospel. And in this one, Judas is possessed by Satan, which the Gospel of John tells us. But this one is actually imagining Jesus and Judas's childhoods when they were infants. And from the, his very early birth, Judas is possessed by Satan and he bites everyone. He, he bites people all the time. It's kind of weird but he, he bites a very young Jesus also. So Judas and Jesus actually in this imagining, they interact when they are infants and young children and Judas is already possessed by Satan and he bites Jesus. But this one has a sympathetic look at Judas because it just says he was possessed by the devil at an early age. What's he supposed to do? There was no choice for him. He had to do this. Another one 
Another fake gospel that justifies Judas is called the gospel of Judas. And this one, um, there were hints about it beforehand, but it was really discovered in, in its most full form in the early 2000s, I believe. And this is what's called a Gnostic gospel. This came from a group of Christians who were heretics. They abandoned the faith that was being proclaimed, and they had this idea of secret knowledge. Um, gnosis in Greek means knowledge. And the Gnostics, they, they thought that there was a secret knowledge that you could hold on to that nobody else had, but only they had it, and it was passed down from one person to another, and that was the only way to know it. So in the Gospel of Judas, which reflects this Gnostic understanding, Jesus and Judas are basically in a conspiracy together. They are the two good guys working together and no one else knows it. The other disciples, they don't really understand Jesus's gospel. They don't understand what it is and they're proclaiming a false gospel down the road. But the person who really understood what Jesus was saying was Judas. And Jesus and Judas, they have put together this secret plot and only Judas really knows the whole story. So Judas betrays Jesus, not because he's evil, not because he wants the money, not because he's disappointed or disenchanted. He betrays Jesus because Jesus tells him to do so. Jesus wants him to do this, and it's all part of a secret plan. And then Judas goes on and he, he proclaims his Gnostic message, which bears no resemblance to the Christian message of bodily resurrection, which we see in the Gospels. Um, but this whole Gospel of Judas one, it was an attempt at using the character of Judas to proclaim this Gnostic understanding of the faith. So in order to do that, they, they created this whole fiction that Judas and Jesus were working together. I thought that was a pretty interesting one because it's just so elaborate. And you just wonder, you know, people will go to great lengths to justify their stories here. There's another fake gospel called the Gospel of Barnabas. And this one I thought was pretty, pretty wild. I, I had never heard of this, had never seen this before, and just became aware of this this last week. But in the Gospel of Barnabas, Judas is actually somewhat of a hero. He, he actually dies instead of Jesus. So in this fake gospel, um, Jesus never dies. Jesus ascends to heaven before he goes to the cross, and Judas actually takes Jesus's place. Now, I don't really know. We don't have the full story here, so I don't know how the other disciples were supposed to be tricked by this. I don't know how um, Mary, Jesus's mother, was supposed to be tricked by this. It doesn't really explain that, but everybody else mistook Judas for Jesus somehow. Um, so in the Gospel of Barnabas, a fake gospel, Judas is portrayed as the actual hero who's the one who really suffers and the one who really dies. And Jesus is ascended to the right hand of the Father before the crucifixion and then comes down and just kind of tells his disciples, hey, you all got this one wrong. I never died. Not really sure what the motivation was behind that one, but it just highlights for you how much Christians have really struggled with understanding Judas's place and reflecting on Judas's place. But this last one that I'm going to discuss here, this is by far my favorite. This one, I just got an absolute kick out of this. And it's probably because I have an older sister. And growing up, I would blame my older sister for everything I could to get out of trouble. So in this one, it's called the Judas Ballad. 
And it's actually the oldest ballad that we have in the English language. And it comes from, you know, medieval times, um, maybe late medieval times or so. But in this ballad, it's a, you know, a song, a story in a song form. Jesus gives Judas money to go buy food, which is what we see in the Gospel of John. You know, Jesus gives him the money and says, go and do what you're about to do quickly. So Judas is completely innocent. He has good intentions and he's walking to the market to go buy the food. But along the way, Judas's sister shows up and she is the evil one. Judas's sister puts him to sleep and steals all of his money. So Judas, he wakes up and he's so embarrassed at what his sister has done in this ballad that he can't tell anyone that he lost the money. So instead of going back to Jesus and saying, hey, I actually lost the money here, Jesus, Judas sells Jesus to the Romans. So that becomes Judas's motivation is to escape the embarrassment he feels at his sister having tricked him. And I have to say that as a younger brother who blamed his sister, I like to know that I wasn't the first to think of that that sisters have been blamed for things before. But what I do wonder from this is, how in the world would Judas in this story think that selling Jesus to the Romans was better than just saying he lost the money to his sister? I don't really understand the logic in this one at all. But it's, it's kind of a quirky little ballad, and I, I, think, it's, I, I think it's meant to be somewhat humorous, and a little, um, just a bit of a farce here, because it's, it's not blaming his sister in a way that leads to blaming women in general. It's more just that his sister tricks him, and he's just embarrassed by this. So, I hope that this little sampling of different ways that Christians in the first thousand years or so of Christian faith have responded to Judas, it just tells you how much the church has struggled with this story and with this character in the Gospels. That we can go from Dante's Inferno, where Judas is the worst of all sinners, being tortured eternally by being bitten by a satanic dog type thing. We can go from that to Judas being innocent and being tricked by his sister. And selling Jesus because he's trying to escape embarrassment. The church really hasn't known how to respond to Judas. The church hasn't known what to do with this story. So I hope that that does give each of us comfort that there are some things scripture doesn't really spell out for us entirely clearly. And maybe the Holy Spirit is actually using those sections of scripture and those characters to deepen our faith. So I hope you had as fun with these stories as I did. Um, if you get a chance, you can just jump on Wikipedia and read about a bunch of this stuff and jump on the internet. It's all out there. Um, but the church has definitely wrestled with Judas and maybe that's part of the point of his story. So thank you all. God bless you and have a good week.